0: Hi, I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Paul Johnson. He's a West Coast-based film independent filmmaker and broadcast journalist. He's been making films on many topics for more than two decades. He's a former White House reporter for Canadian television and Beijing correspondent. He's also director of Last of the Ancient Rainforests: The Emotional Connection to Trees. The working title for his new film is Bears in Our Backyard about how to better coexist with black bears. So first off, thank you for your work in the world. Second, thank you for being in the program.
1: Well, and thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to hear the intriguing things that you're doing. So um, let's just start by
0: talking about who are black bears. uh, What do they... Just sort of an introduction to black bears before we start talking about our relationship with them.
1: Yeah, black bears are uh, the most common bear species currently in North America, the makeup of our different bear species changed dramatically as the colonization took place in North America. Uh, The most important feature of that was there used to be a lot more brown bears, also known as grizzly bears, in the lower 48 states, in places like California, uh, I think as far south as New Mexico in some places. And uh, they were all extirpated uh, by settlers and hunters, uh, for the most part, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, Black bears were also uh, shot, and their numbers drastically declined in many parts of North America, but they've managed to hang on uh, more in uh, places where uh, the grizzly bears uh, were not able to, to be. So consequently, uh, we have a large number of uh, black bears across North America. Uh, they're doing well for the most part. And um, I think we can explain that with the fact that they're omnivorous, clever, um, adaptive, intelligent animals. And I've been inspired to start telling their story because of what I've witnessed happening in the growing metropolitan areas around vancouver british columbia um if you have been to vancouver or you can picture in your mind's eye where it is you'll know that it's a a city in the west coast of uh canada that butts up against you know what has been until very fairly recently very recently a pristine temperate rainforest and um with all of the abundant biodiversity that, that comes with including black bears and vancouver is uh, a region that's population is growing very quickly in recent decades and what's happening is uh, the city is expanding into black bear habitat into the mountains and the forests uh, that surround uh, the city of vancouver and as this happens we're seeing more and more conflict between people and black bears. Now, when I say conflict, I don't necessarily mean people getting mauled or chased by black bears. That actually hardly ever happens. But what does tend to happen is, you know, bears will show up in somebody's backyard and uh, climb a plum tree that's in their backyard and eat the fruit that's there or go after a bird feeder, get into the garbage. Basically, they're just being bears and doing their normal bear behavior. But what invariably happens is people will get alarmed by this, and they'll call the police. And the police will bring in the provincial conservation officers. Those are the people in the provincial government in British Columbia who are uh, deployed and designed to deal with wildlife issues and they're armed and they've got rifles and they have a number of different things that they can do when a black bear ends up in a place where they believe it shouldn't be and of course that's debatable because you know we're going into their habitat and one of the things that frequently happens is the bears that are interacting with people and are in a neighborhood or something frequently get shot and there are a number of different reasons why this happens but frequently it's some kind of an assessment that's made on the spot uh, by the conservation officer who's there that the bear had become habituated to people or the bear had become habituated to eating garbage so there's nothing that we can do for this bear we can't move it we can't work with it to try to get it to move on It's going to be there. It's going to be a problem. And eventually it's going to be a threat to people and to children. So we have to kill it. Now, they use different language. They'll say we destroy the bear. We euthanize the bear. I tend to prefer calling it what I believe it is. They're they're killing the bears uh, for their purposes. And this is happening in staggering numbers in in British Columbia right now they're killing anywhere between about three to five hundred black bears a year. And that's a lot. And not all of it is happening around the city of Vancouver. That's the focus of my film because of you know that's where I'm based part of the time and, and I'm in touch with some of the decision makers there. But it's also happening in a lot of other cities around British Columbia. If you can picture British Columbia... It's a massive province. Uh, There's been a lot of logging taking place there, but there's still a tremendous amount of open space. And uh, it's got kind of an Alaska last of the frontier uh, feeling to it. So you, you have a lot of opportunities for there to be conflict between people and black bears. And as I've been exploring this issue, I mean, one of the things that I've been learning is that there are a lot of people out there who have taken it upon themselves in a volunteer capacity to learn about black bear behavior. And what they're saying is that sure, black bears can be dangerous. They're large animals. Uh, Some of them can have their predatory instincts triggered by certain situations. They're also very, very intelligent animals. And much more can be done by people who live in areas that are in black bear habitat that to learn to coexist with black bears, to understand more about their behavior, to understand what they're thinking and feeling, and to minimize the kinds of problems that result in the conservation officer service coming in and killing the black bears. And that's what this film is about. And there's a lot of really uh, intriguing things that I've been finding out. A lot of really tragic and sad things, too, that I think uh, speak to where North American society is still at in terms of how it views wildlife and certain wildlife, because not all wildlife are equal, it, it turns out. And black bears, it seems, for some strange reason, are kind of falling through the cracks here in terms of people really... Were a lot of people wanting to stand up for them and try to understand them.
0: So, um, I'm going to just bring in one statistic. You know, because people do talk about being afraid of of bears, and there's only one person dies in North America in North America every two years from a black bear attack. So, it's, it's the 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 actual danger of getting attacked by a bear is by a black bear especially i I don't know grizzlies I don't know polar bears but i I do know this for black bears is is infinitesimal
1: yes I mean what I mean here's one comparison that I've tried to put out there and I have yet to verify this number and it's going to be one of the things I'm investigating in this project is but I'm certain the number is much higher okay you, you just identified. Uh, the number of people killed by black bears. How many people in North America are killed by dogs every year? That number is most certainly higher. I don't have it at my fingertips right now. I, as a news reporter, have covered many more stories of people killed by pit bulls than I've ever covered of fatal bear attacks. So that says something you know, right there about um schism we have, about how we view wildlife, and in particular black bears. Schism is the wrong word. Uh, maybe a misapprehension and a hang-up we have about this.
0: Um, the next thing I want to mention, and then we'll then we'll get back to, to your stuff. Um, the next thing I want to mention is when I lived in Spokane, Washington, there was a big scandal erupted because um, the local uh, wildlife officers or whatever they're called, uh, would routinely say, "Oh, it's fine to call us about a bear or a mountain lion or, you know, whatever creature is in your backyard. We just take them out in the wild and release them." And first off, somebody else already lives there. So when they when yeah. they relocate a bear or a mountain lion, they usually end up dying anyway. And so leave that aside. Though somebody followed these officers and um, and they said, "Yes, we're going to relocate it." You know look how heroic we are for getting this bear out of the tree and then they some people follow them and they found out that what they were doing is shooting them and dumping their bodies and um, so it's just it, and then one more thing about this which is that and I don't usually well I do some editorialize but I guess I just want to beg people that unless you see unless you see some wildlife who has been shot, I mean, I'm sorry, some wildlife who has been hit by a car and is is, is in terrible pain. Don't ever call wildlife on fish and wildlife or fishing game or any of those on on wild animals because they're they're rarely going to act in, in the best interest of the of the the animal. So and you can disagree with that if you want, but that's just that's something that I've that's sort of hard-learned information for me, or hard-learned opinion.
1: Well, I mean, that speaks to one of the things that I've been finding out um, in in British Columbia, um, where we have their version of the, the Fish and Wildlife people, which is the Conservation Officer Service. And I think part of it stems from the fact that they're not conservation, they're called conservation officers, but they're basically a paramilitary organization. They're actually sworn peace officers. So they're much more similar to you know, law enforcement. They carry weapons. Uh, they go through the kind of training that you need to go through to, to get that job. And they think more in terms of a, of a policing mindset and a public safety enforcement mindset than they do as – instead of being a biology mindset or a bear behavior or animal behavior mindset, at the end of the day, they arrive on a scene and they have to make a quick determination about, you know, what needs to happen here. And they're empowered to do what they determine needs to happen and to do it quickly. And, you know, let's face it too often. The default response is if something bad happens here, Because of a problem animal, there will be blowback and we can't have public safety, fear type blowback. So the best thing to do is to kill the animal. And that happens. And that is precisely the kind of thinking that we really need to think more about, uh, think about different options and really investigate whether this is the most humane way of dealing with these creatures who have a right to live so so
0: now now that i've gotten my own particular issues out of the way let's move to you mentioned like some heartwarming stories can you tell some interesting or fun or stories of either you know humans seeing interesting bears do or just help? Well, here's what I want, is can you, obviously you care about bears or you wouldn't be making this film. Can you help listeners to fall in love with bears? Like what are some great stories that you just love?
1: In many of the places where I've been filming and interviewing people, so think the areas around Vancouver, not in the city, but uh, in the places in North Vancouver, West Vancouver, Coquitlam, Port Moody, Squamish, if you're familiar with any of those places, these are places where people live and they have their houses and they border right on black bear habitat. What you find out as you go along and talk to people is people know the bears. People know the bears individually. I will be filming. I was filming up in Squamish a couple of weeks ago where there was a a bear attack and uh, there was a response by the conservation officers. And we can talk about that later and what happened. And, um, you know, I I talk to people who walk along these paths and they say, Oh yeah, uh, that bear. um, I know her. And um, she's got a cub this year. She didn't have a cub last year. Um, She hangs out in the area uh, between this park And the river, I think she hibernates at a spot that I've seen there. And um, most of us who know about her uh, give her space. And uh, we respect her right to be there. And we know that they're very active in the late fall when the salmon are running because they're gorging on food to get ready for hibernation. And we want her to be okay. We don't want her to be killed by the conservation officers. And so, uh, so we respect her um these are people that are getting to know the bears and presumably i mean we we can't know ever what's happening in the consciousness of the bears the bears also know these individual people and they know people who are trouble for them and they recognize them and it's also very likely they know these people who are not trouble for them and there's not going to be a problem there There was another example we had, and this ended up being kind of a was a heartwarming story at first, but uh, it became a sad story. There was a woman in uh, one of the suburbs of Vancouver. She had a plum tree. And for a couple of years, um, there was a female bear who would regularly come into her yard right exactly about the time that those plums were getting ripe and ready to eat. And uh, the bear would climb up into the tree and spend a couple of hours up there gorging on the plums and uh, you know if you know anything about the capacity for bears to eat as you do um they can eat a lot of plums and um, just just the- just for the
0: record um in the fall okay it's uh, just cuz i think this is so interesting so black bears normally eat about 5000 calories a day which is about twice as much as an adult human male and in the fall, they enter something, a word I can't pronounce, H-Y-P-E-R.
1: Hyperphagia.
0: Hyperphagia. Thank you. I've always wondered how you say it. In which they eat about 20,000 calories a day.
1: Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, most North Americans uh, in the Christmas gorging season do similar things or on a cruise ship or something. Yep. But then the bears are, you know, they're getting ready because they need to live off of that for for the winter. So. So this woman had plum, the bear, she named it plum, uh, climb up into her plum tree and regularly, you know, that was a, um, a, a spot to get a meal for this bear. She didn't have a problem with plum because she knew what was going on. When plum was in the tree, she'd give plum space and, um, everything was fine until it was. And one of these times that plum was around, uh, Possibly after eating all of the plums in the tree, uh, Plum went and got into somebody else's yard and uh, I think might have been digging in the garden or something. And. The people who lived in that house were, you know, they didn't have the same relationship with the bear. They were alarmed. They called the conservation officer service and uh, the call was immediately made that uh, Plum had been habituated to human food and there was no other option. But to kill Plum, and they did. That's horrible. So here you have, you know, a heartwarming story about a way that people found to interact with the black bears that were drawn to their neighborhood. But then another, you know, ending in a, you know, in tragedy. um, You know, with the bear dying because somebody else didn't get it, didn't feel comfortable, and you know, as you said, once the officials show up, it invariably ends up badly for the bears. So, I mean, I think if there's is positive things to be said about what's going on with black bears is there is a huge capacity there for people who are, are curious about them, care about them and want to know about them to interact with them and to, to get along with them safely. And problems tend to arise when people, see a black bear coming into their neighborhood and immediately their default response is, this is a threat and it needs to be dealt with and they call in the guys with the guns and it ends badly. The, th- so
0: you- the, the thing <clears throat> that just kills me about this is that the default response should be, um, like if you have children, the default response should be, you know, little Jane and little Jimmy Come look out the window. Look, isn't this beautiful? Uh, it, it, it horrifies Absolutely. me that that's not the response. Look, look how lucky we are to be living in a place where we get to see this.
1: this Absolutely. Is, this
0: is this is something I guarantee that if a little kid saw this at six, seven, eight, this is something that that little kid will remember for the rest of his or her life.
1: Absolutely. So this begs the question then. Shouldn't the model, and let's even back up a little bit more, take an even bigger picture. What's going on on planet Earth right now? The destruction of biodiversity in every dimension. I mean, there's a couple of odd species here and there that are, it's found that they're doing well and they're thriving, uh, but many are not. Too many are not. And when we have situations where we can coexist with wildlife, we should take advantage of that. Because it is such a positive thing actually for people, for us to be connected to wildlife and to be connected on a deep spiritual level to our ecosystems. So if you look at a place like Vancouver and the parts of Vancouver that interface with black bear habitat, there is a tremendous amount that can be done first on just behavioral Uh, work, educating people, um, having them understand that a black bear being around isn't immediately cause for panic, and you can start to interact with them and coexist with them, but also from a city planning and layup perspective. um, There's a black bear expert who I've spoken with, uh, Wayne McCrory, um, one of the top in North America, and among the things that he's done is he's consulted with cities that have wanted to do this. On ways that they can lay out their subdivisions so that wildlife corridors are built into the city plan from the ground up so that you can have the kind of situation like where you just talked about where bears can be moving through an area, but can be in an area that's known where bears can be that's designated for them that gives them space and a way to transit an area and that people can observe them and observe this incredible Phenomena. I've been hanging out a lot in an area called Port Coquitlam where there is a uh, salmon creek that's uh, got a pretty abundant run of uh, chum salmon in the late fall. And so, of course, there's a lot of bears there when those uh, chum are running. And I've gotten to know some of these individual bears over, or, or at least recognize them over the course of the past couple of years that I've been filming there. And every year, I mean, there hasn't been a problem with, with people there, but there's a lot of photographers showing up, which is a good thing. I mean, these are mostly uh, hobbyists and, and retired people who you know, bought a camera and a long lens and they want to do wildlife photography. And they're all you know crowded around this uh, one side of this road, a place where you can get pretty close to the bears. And there hasn't been a problem, and I hope there never is a problem. But one thing that I think, can and ought to be done in a place like this, and this is also an area where there are new subdivisions going in everywhere, is the city ought to recognize you've got this special place here that is regularly every fall. That's a meal stop for the local black bears. Let's build a bear viewing platform and build in a space in a way that people can come down and from a safe distance, in a kind of a regulated uh, setup, come down and observe the bears and get to know them. And I think this is the way forward in having people and having communities learn about what's going on with the bears and actually bond with them in a way and appreciate them more so that the default mechanism of just killing them when you don't know what to do with them becomes our last resort and the last option that they choose because this, this, leads into another thing that I'm finding out about just predators and, uh, and wildlife in general is there's, there's a hierarchy in our consciousness of how we appreciate and how we value different animals. And I don't quite understand yet how this works, but it, it definitely is happening. Grizzly bears, for instance, uh, in British Columbia are now protected. They, within the past few years, they ended the trophy hunting of grizzly bears, which was a good move. And part of why that happened is because people have a lot more reverence for grizzly bears, I think because they're bigger, they're more charismatic, and their gut reaction to hearing that people were hunting the grizzly bears was strong in a negative way. They wanted it to stop. But people in general don't seem to feel the same way about black bears. And I've heard the comments from people when I've been out, you know, filming bears. Uh, I was uh, at a place called Bella Coola uh, this fall, and uh, there are a lot of grizzly bears up there. And I was filming grizzly bears and uh, black bears would sometimes come around. And the other people up there who were taking pictures were really excited when the grizzly bears would be there. I get that. But then I would hear them say something like, ah, nothing happened today, only had a couple of black bears come by. And it was this kind of sort of dismissive thing that, you know, the black bears were respected less. And I I don't quite know why that is. Now, it's a good thing that people do respond and care about big, charismatic animals, and that ends up driving public policy toward them, and they get protected. Um... In another dimension, we've seen that happen in a big way when it comes to orca whales, killer whales. Um, You know, only 30, 40 years ago, killer whales were poorly understood. Uh, They were captured, you know, right off the coast of where I'm living, the Pacific Northwest, by fishing boats with fishing nets, and they were put into swimming pools, um, you know, large swimming pools and aquariums, and they had terrible lives. And that has changed drastically because people have really fallen in love to a large degree with orcas and they respect their intelligence and uh, their hunting skills and their big charismatic apex predators that we've come to respect and revere. And, you know, now you can't catch them, you know, off the coast of Seattle with fishing boats and take them to an aquarium. That's not allowed anymore. And you can't kill them. So. One of the things I'm trying to explore here, what, what is it about human psychology that uh, some animals end up in this category where we're like, whoa, whoa, you know, we really need to rethink what we're doing and we have to recognize these animals are incredible animals and they have a right to exist. But then there's other lessers like the black bears. And I don't, I'm not meaning to say, I think that they're a lesser creature, but in the public consciousness, they don't tend to motivate or inspire the kind of reverence that you see for grizzly bears or for polar bears, for that matter. Um, people really have a visceral uh, reaction about the plight of, of polar bears. I, I was speaking with a conservationist just last week about this, and you know her thoughts on this was it has something to do with the way the animals look. And black bears are dark, and it's harder to see their faces, and it's harder to see emotion in their faces. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, maybe it's also the fact that they're still, luckily, more numerous than these other bears. And I mean, I heard one conservation officer uh, tell me, you know, off the record, yeah, black bears, you know, they're basically just oversized raccoons. And, you know, this is coming from one of the professionals who deals with them. And it was very revealing about how we think about these animals. But if you spend any time around black bears, you realize they're incredibly intriguing animals, uh, they're very intelligent. They respond to tone of voice when you're talking to them. Um, they're incredible climbers, which is one thing actually that was new to me uh, when I started filming black bears. If you've ever seen uh, black bears climb trees, you realize they're about as agile as uh, most primates uh, climbing trees. They're very good. They can swim. Um, they're omnivorous. They can find all kinds of different ways to survive, and they're mostly vegetarians.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about, um, when I've seen them, the way I sort of describe them climbing trees is that they basically just run up the tree. I don't know that they're even necessarily slower growing up a tree than they are running across the ground.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? I saw this just a few weeks ago, um, and uh, the bear actually had a salmon in its mouth, and Yeah, it went up the tree about as fast as it would move galloping across a field. Uh, It was incredible uh, agility. It's really something to see. Um, It's astonishing to see, actually. And I don't
0: agree that they're just overgrown raccoons, but if they were, what's wrong with that?
1: Well, I mean, that's that's a valid question as well. But it speaks to this hierarchy of care or hierarchy of concern that we have when it comes to, uh, you know, our animal relatives. Uh, We care much more about certain species than we do about others. And uh, I'm sure somebody is researching the psychological underpinnings of this, but, you know, why do grizzlies and and orcas and uh, polar bears elicit a lot of response and you see them on the cover of magazines and uh, christmas cards and you and people have a reverence for them you don't see that so much with black bears and i would argue from hanging out with black bears uh black bears are really an incredible species uh that's not to be overlooked and we really need to think about how our lack of respect for black bears is resulting in hundreds of them getting killed
0: there's another thing I want to – thank you for all that. And there's another thing I want to bring up, which is that this has bothered me ever since I was a teenager, that that people get mad at bears wandering into people's yards or eating their plums or – well, in this case, it wasn't because they were eating the plums because she liked them um, – or eating the garbage or something. And you think the bears actually want to be eating the garbage? It's like you kill off, you you destroy their habitat. You mentioned clear-cutting earlier. You destroy their habitat, yes. you destroy their homes, and then you get mad when the refugees come into contact with you. And, you know, you get mad when, I mean, you, you kill off in many places runs of salmon, and then you get mad when they go to the dump. And this is just, even to this day, I mean, so, so for the last... You know, since the mid-70s when I was a teenager, this has struck me as just tremendously
1: unfair. Well, everywhere you look along the west coast of North America, I think with the exception of uh, Alaska, which, you know, this year had record returns of sockeye salmon, salmon runs are in decline everywhere. And there are complex reasons for that. Much of it is due to habitat destruction of salmon streams. Much of it is due to dams. There's overfishing happening. There's also changes in the ocean conditions and the temperatures of the ocean. There's all of these factors, uh, most of them human caused, that have resulted in the decline of salmon. So, okay, you're right. That's point number one. Uh, we've removed uh, one of the biggest sources of food, at least for coastal bears, uh, which is salmon. In places like the interior of British Columbia, Washington State, California, we've had industrial scale clear cutting happening for well over a hundred years. That's massively reduced the quality of their ecosystems and their ability to get food. Combined with that, we're now living increasingly in their habitat. and you're right. We end up with this tragic situation where yeah, a bear wanders down into town because it's hungry and it's into the dump. It gets into garbage and our response is, well, we have to kill the bear now. Now I want to make it clear. I'm not saying, and my intention of this film isn't to make some kind of an argument that black bears can't be dangerous and that they're, is no circumstance under which it's right to kill a black bear. Um, we had a couple of attacks in British Columbia uh, just this past year. One was in the far north of BC where two women were mauled by a black bear, and they were both put in the hospital in intensive care. It was a very bad attack. And we had another uh, much more minor attack, actually, just a few weeks ago um, in the town of Squamish, which is near the ski resort Whistler. which some of your listeners might be familiar with that location. And that was also uh, two women uh, were attacked on a jogging path, literally right next to a bunch of townhomes that have recently been built there. And there is a phenomenon that any uh, you know bear expert would tell you that can happen in black bears called predatory black bear behavior. Um, apparently, it's mostly common either in very young male black bears older uh, black bears, and this is where their predatory instincts get triggered for some reason, and they can attack a person, and they do, and we need to be careful about that and understand that that is a possibility and deal with that when it happens. Now, predatory black bear attacks are exceptionally rare, and there are ways to deal with it. One positive thing that happened recently on this was that the attack that happened in Squamish just a few weeks ago, um, there were two women who were, you know, lightly attacked. I think, you know, they didn't even get admitted to the hospital. They were scratched up. And this was a situation where um, the salmon were running, bears probably being protective of the food source, and they're quite stressed out during the late fall times because they're desperately trying to get as much food as possible to survive the winter. And, uh, these two attacks happened within a few hours of, uh, of one another. And the way the conservation officer service handled this, uh, it was actually quite impressive and it was different than how they've done every other response where they've just gone and killed the bear. Um, they basically came in and they closed off this big, uh, park, uh, Wildlife area that's next to the town of Squamish and they said we're going to keep these trails closed to give that bear space until it dens and goes into hibernation and I thought that was a pretty enlightened approach there.
0: That's all that's all many unbelievable. Other that's that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's great
1: Yeah, they, so here you have a, a a bear living close to a city and had actually hurt a couple of people and they actually, um, you know, had the wherewithal to finally say, OK, um, it's not the bear's fault. Let's give that bear space and um, it's going to be in its den within a matter of weeks. Let's just close off these trails. And so these are the, this is why, you know, we've got this situation where there are so many different positive things we could be doing. And that's a, an example of one of them. Now, OK, so here you had a situation with a conservation officer service. Arguably did the right thing. But part of the problem is also just people. While we were up there uh, investigating this, um, we still saw joggers, uh, you know, going out for their late afternoon jog and walking up to the path that had a big sign across it and a, you know, a drawing of a bear, dangerous bear here, trail closed, And they were just kind of, huh. And they would ran around it and, you know, continued running down the path that had been closed because there'd been a bear attack. And clearly these individuals, you know, they didn't want to be inconvenienced and have their daily run uh, changed because of a bear. And they weren't too scared of the bear, which is a good thing. But the problem here is that the more people don't intuitively and on their own follow these kinds of guidelines you increase the likelihood that there is another negative outcome. And, you know, this is why I'm saying that there's something to do with the way that we uh, view black bears needs to change. It would be a much better situation if, okay, conservation officers did the right thing, they didn't shoot the bear, but if most of the people in the community were also knowledgeable enough about it and respected the bears enough that they would say, I might take a jog in another park." Because we're going to give this bear space, but currently, you know, not quite there yet.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about your 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 the film you're making about this. What what stage is the film at? And this this will so what? Yeah, what stage is your film at?
1: Okay, Bears in Our Backyard is um, about halfway through. Uh, production, and uh, I'm still shooting interviews. Um, I've spent the past couple of years filming black bears, doing all kinds of things um, in British Columbia, mostly in the Vancouver area. Um, also spent some time with grizzlies because we want to talk about grizzly bears as well. And um, uh, it'll be a, a feature-length documentary film. It'll be available. Um, you'll be able to get it online. It'll be on Amazon Prime. And a couple of other, um, as yet to be named, uh, streaming services. And, uh, it'll be available, uh, worldwide for people who are interested in it. Probably looking at, um, a mid June release date for the film. And I think anybody who's interested in the airs will like the film, will find it interesting. And also anybody who's just, you know, interested in these deeper concepts about, human wildlife interaction and ways that we can find to better relate and better coexist with the wildlife that is here. And, you know, as you were saying, instead of seeing them as a threat, seeing them as an incredible resource that we're really lucky to have. I mean, aren't you really lucky if you live in a community where you can see bears sometimes or just knowing that the bears are out there? And I mean, when you look at what's been happening to the planet, you know, for the past few decades with its collision course with industrial civilization, I find it tremendously gratifying and uplifting, even if I don't see them, to know that there's still enough of the ecosystem left and intact that wild black bears can survive, just a few miles from where I live. I really like that. And I know that a lot of people are going to say, well, that's because, you know, you're an urban guy who doesn't live out in rural areas and have to deal with bears the way we do, where they're a threat and where they're pests. And I get that. This is coming from a person of privilege, a guy who makes films and lives in cities mostly. But I think it counts for something that I feel that way and that people feel that way. I mean, I've never met a polar bear. I probably never will. But I really find it uplifting to know that they're still out there. Um, I really find it uplifting to know that there are still wild wolf packs in British Columbia. Ranchers and People who live closer to them will frequently say, well, this, you know, this is a big problem. You know, you urban sophisticates, you know, you're the people who are pushing for all of these laws that change things. But we've got to deal with the wolves and the wolves kill our livestock and that costs us money. I mean, I get that. And that's not to be dismissed. And I don't mean to dismiss any of this, but nor do I think. Those people ought to dismiss the fact that. Wildlife that continue to survive is a very meaningful thing for people, whether or not we're around them or not. And I'm happy to know that they're there.
0: So uh, we still have five or six minutes left, and that that would have been a good note to end on, but um, there's a couple more topics I want to hit. One of them is that um, I actually live in a forest, and I see bears all the time, and I still love them. And that having to do with that, so years ago, I interviewed a person who is working to get rid of bear bile farming in Asia and one of the things we were both laughing about is how destructive bears can be. She said that in their refuge in their um, their refuge center the 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 rescue place that their cost for things that the bears break is about as much as their cost for food and I was laughing at this because bears aren't dangerous. Well, I mean, yeah, there there are some bear attacks, but I'm not actually scared about being attacked. But what does make me nervous, um, my, my car bumper has bite holes in it. Um, I have to replace um, tires once in a while if I leave the car outside because the bears will chew on the tire. And it's like, but I live in their home. And also my apple trees... Uh, the, the woman with the plum tree, she's actually pretty lucky that the bear didn't rip, you know, in, that the bear merely climbed it and didn't pull it down. Because the bears here, I put in apples, apple trees 20 years ago, and I, I don't mind that they wrecked the apple trees because I actually planted it for them, but they do pull the branches down. And I actually kind of laugh at all the destruction because... I'm living in their home, and I actually cause more harm to their home than they cause to mine. And my point is well, that, the, that it's it's part of living in the country is you're going to be inconvenienced by wild nature because that's where you live. Anyway, sorry, what were you going to say?
1: Well, I mean, this is the change in consciousness and <coughs> in, in viewpoints that I'm trying to explore in this film. I mean, you're there, I mean, which is why you do what you do and why we're having this. and. How do we? How do we get more people to feel, maybe not the exact same way you do, but if, if enough people just had five to ten percent more reverence respect for wild animals like bears, we could avoid so many of the problems. And the main problem being so many of them getting killed and. What are some common sense and practical things that can be done to create more reverence and respect for them? One idea that has been floated out there, and I mean, this might actually already be taking off kind of in an embryonic way, is for people who care about bears to form local black bear societies or groups. There's one in the city of North Vancouver, for instance. And these are made up of people who in many cases actually know a lot of the individual bears in the neighborhood and they can do community outreach to educate people about, you know, what to do and what not to do. Um, And they can also be available to be on call when a bear is in somebody's yard and freaking people out. They can actually come by and help deal with the bear, and help explain to people what's going on. And um, the more humans in their communities get together and form ways to decide we want to try to kill fewer of these bears, we want to respect them, and we want to recognize that we're in their habitat and not the other way around. There's a lot of progress that can be made on that, Irrespective of whatever government does. And I don't, and this is what I'm hoping happens as a result of uh, you know doing a film project like this.
0: I should have asked you this much sooner, but I don't think you've said how many black bears are killed in BC every year?
1: Between three and five hundred. You know, one of the things that this brings up is, you know, long term, why isn't there a strategy to try to reduce this number? And there isn't right now um, I mean well there there's the activism that's going on uh, by individuals in places like the black bear societies and the individuals who care about them but nothing really going on in government government's view is that there's plenty of black bears the black bears will you know are doing fine on their own and uh, we can tolerate you know this amount of debt another thing that you brought up and we haven't gotten into this yet is When we do have issues with bears, uh, when there are aggressive bears, how much of that is driven by the fact that these bears have a memory of being terrorized by people? They've been shot at. Uh, People have thrown uh, bear bangers and loud explosions at them to scare them. Uh, They're aware of other bears that have been shot and killed. They know what's going on. And they have a reason to be wary of people. And my understanding is they also have a, a reason to be wary of certain people. Um, there was a story that came out of Bella Coola uh, when I was up there this fall that there, uh, I think the last major grizzly attack that happened in the Bella Coola Valley where there were a lot of grizzly bears. Um, the victim, the guy lived. Um, But he was known to be a a hunting guide when grizzly bear hunting was still going on. And he was also somebody who had uh, shot at bears when they'd come onto his property. He'd thrown bear bangers at them and uh, he'd made them mad. And they knew who he was. And they and finally, there came a time when one of these bears got really aggressive and went after him. Did that bear have a memory? Of this guy and know who he was and know how he treated bears very possible and when you consider that that also factors into another way that possibly we can reduce the death this very significant death toll of black bears just by treating them better
0: so we're pretty much out of time and can you well two things one is can you tell Like, just one fun or funny story about bears, you know, some sort of interaction somebody's had that was really cute or fun or nice or something. And then the other one is, can you let people know how they can find out more about your work?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, uh, the only thing that I can think of that was uh, funny was happened to me recently and I was, um, I was out filming black bears, uh, in an area around Vancouver where there are lots of them. And, um, you know, I've been interviewing and talking with a lot of black bear experts who have told me, you know, if you have an up close, you know, bear encounter, you know, and, and first I should say, I mean, I'm pretty careful. I mean, I keep my distance to the extent that I can. If I know a bear is there, I carry bear spray. I don't intend ever to, get close to a black bear or to surprise it uh, or to corner it, you're asking for trouble if you do that. So I try to respect it. But one of the things that's been explained to me, if you do end up in a situation where you're up close unexpectedly uh, with a black bear, um, the way to deal with it is to be calm. They understand tone of voice. Um, Don't freak out. Uh, Calmly sort of talk to the bear a bit. Back away very slowly. Don't run, you know don't run whatever you do just calmly disengage and the bear will not be freaked out by your behavior and everything will probably be fine so recently i was up at this place where i was filming bears and i had followed a um i was filming a, a mother bear and a cub walked along a hedge and then kind of disappeared into uh, the hedgerow which is a bunch of trees and um, i thought they were long gone at one point and i was later i was uh walking down this path where I had seen the bear earlier. And suddenly it surprised me from about two feet away. Um, I heard this, <laughs> which is the unmistakable sound of a black bear letting you know it's there and, you know, don't get any closer. And I mean, I'm, I mean, it just goes to show you, this is uh, this is why people need to really practice and think about it. Instead of doing the thing that I had been told many times by the expert, which is to, you know, calmly uh, walk away, you know, I mean, I, I panicked and uh, turned around and started scrambling away, uh, you know, like a scared uh, teenager. Not how I envisioned myself, uh, you know, the longtime uh, journalist uh, who has been exploring this. Uh, topic uh, w- would interact uh, with an up close bear encounter, so um, it it just goes to show you, uh, you know, learning about bears and learning about wildlife uh, takes a long time, and um, and it takes a lot of practice.
0: That's pretty cute. So, how do people find out more about your work?
1: So you can find. Um, uh, all of my previous films, um uh many of them are on uh, Amazon Prime. Um uh you can also buy them um I mean you can buy them on Amazon Prime. You can also buy them on the platform uh Vimeo, uh, which is a lesser-known platform, um, but is a very efficient and uh way to get uh content and independent content in particular. Um there are also uh a couple of uh new streaming services that have them. There's one called Tubi T U B I and um uh, you can see uh, last of the ancient rainforest there which is my previous film and um, uh, and more to come uh, there uh, the landscape of, uh, of streaming and content delivery uh, is changing uh, all of the time and uh, there are all kinds of uh, ways to get content and um, but if you look for those films um, you look for anything by paul johnson films on amazon or on vimeo uh, you can find them
0: Well, thank you so much for uh, your work in the world, and thank you for being on the program, and I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest today has been Paul...